Amen. Amen. Okay, so a month ago is last time I preached, four weeks ago, and I talked about Joshua chapter 1, and we talked about the very famous verse, which I believe to a lot of us is one of our favourite verse about being strong and courageous, which is what God commanded Joshua, to be strong and courageous. Well, today we get to um, chapter, chapter 2, and I titled the message as, A Prostitute is Saved. And um, it's probably not a very um, good title to talk about, um, to talk about a prostitute and to mention her frequently and to mention her in that way. Um, but I'd like to start by reading verse chapter 1. In Joshua chapter 2, and I believe we'll get it up there. <laughs> Anyways, he says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, there's some stories that don't sit too well with us, eh? Hey? You know, the, so the story of David and Goliath, yeah, we like that story. That's a great story. Daniel in the lion's den, we love that one. And we teach our children. We don't talk too much about Rahab to our children, hey. What about when she lied to save the Israelites? She lied. Do we encourage our children to lie? No. So it's not a very famous, and probably that's why we know very little about Rahab. Um, we sing, teach our songs, children to sing songs like Zacchaeus was a little man. But I don't know if anyone knows any songs about Rahab. Maybe you can put your hand up and oh, I haven't heard any. So um, you'd be unique and you'd be a one-off. There's not many. Um, but the, the fact is that she was a prostitute. And, um, and that means that she was part of the so-called the world oldest occupation. And the Bible doesn't try to cover that. You know that she's mentioned five times in the Bible, while she's mentioned the sixth time. Um, in one part of it, she, it's not mentioned that she's a prostitute. But in every other place, she's mentioned and she's regarded as Rahab the prostitute. So it wasn't tried to cover up. You think that one mention would be enough? That once they said that the spies went into her house and they... When, you know, they were hidden and, and she, she took favour in them, that that would be enough that she was mentioned as a prostitute. And after that, it wouldn't be mentioned as a prostitute anymore. Well, that's not the case. And so we have in the next verse, if we can have the next one, Ben. So we have here in Hebrews, by faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So that's not only in the Old Testament. So she's mentioned three times in Joshua, chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 17, and chapter 6, verse 25. She's mentioned as Rahab the prostitute. But then also in James, chapter 2, verse 25, he says, In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave Lot in the spies and sent them off in a different direction? So she's regarded even there. She says that she's regarded as righteous for what she did. Her actions were righteous. So the word prostitute is not one that we'd like to mention very often. 
And you know, there's many different names for that word, but one thing we do know is that for whatever reason, we don't know why she chose to be a prostitute, but she know, we know that for whatever reason, she decided to sell her body for money. And you know, over time, over time, it's this the, uh, degrading has become less um, degrading by what Hollywood have done and by our society and by the times that we live in. You know, Hollywood has glamorised prostitution. Most of you know and you think it's a pretty good movie, The Pretty Woman one. And, you know, it's got a really good story to it and it looks like a great, um, a great story. But it's, it's trying to make less of the fact that she was a prostitute. And we see it more and more now. You know, sex has become a casual thing. It's no longer a what it was in the past. You know, it's very... You're not surprised when men, married men have affairs and married women have affairs. Um, in some of the third world countries, we see, and um, in particular, I think, for those people that have travelled to Thailand, you get impacted there by the prostitution that's on the streets. And I've, I don't know if I mentioned in the past, but Rosanne and I went there for one of our anniversary, and on the streets... I was walking with my wife and people were asking me to go into these massage places. I mean, we're walking together. You know, they, they just have no respect. They don't fear that there's anything wrong, I suppose. But the shame is, is gone. And, you know, the, the beauty of this story is that God turns shame into glory. And we'll see that by the end of this story, we'll see that from being a prostitute, she becomes a child of God. And that's the beauty and the power of this, of this story. The biblical doesn't tell us, um, give us much detail about Rahab. We don't know. Um, we know a few facts. We know that she lived in, the Jer- she lived in Jericho, near, near the city wall. And um, in, uh, I'll be sharing, continue to share about Joshua. And when I'll talk about the wall coming down, I'll bring some evidence and some um, historical or, or some evidence that's been taken by um, excavations and some of the things that they found that are quite interesting, that you'll find interesting, but I'll leave that for another time. And they believe, and there's evidence that the war, there was two wars, there's an outer war and an inner war, and I'll just mention this, and when the wars collapse, they say that the wars collapse, the outer, inner war collapsed on the outer war, and that's how the Israelites went in. And they found all saying the rubbles that they were burned just like he says in the Bible. So there were some people that were trying to discredit that fact. And then others came after them and they said, hang on, no, what you have told us about the facts. And I'll bring some of them and I'll bring some slides. And they're talking about how it actually, it is a biblical fact that it did take place. The timing fits, everything fits. But apparently on the poor people... And they was like the slum on the outer wall. So the inner wall was there and the outer wall was higher. And the rich people lived there. But the poor people in the, were here and some regarded that as being the slums. And apparently that's where her house was. And there's a place there that hasn't collapsed. That's, you know, that people can still see it and it's quite amazing. Um, three and a half thousand years later that there's evidence that it took place. And we don't know her religion. We don't know her back, family background. We don't know why she became a prostitute. Um, Was it out of desperation? Was it that her husband died, that she was starving to death? What was the fact of that? We don't know. What forced her into into that um, 
degrading um, state for her to be in, to find herself. We don't know her religion except that she was not raised to believe in the God of the Bible. And we don't know if she was looking for a better life when the two spies came to her house or was she just... But I think she was just thinking of a way out that there's going to be a bit of an opportunity here to, 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 to find, to, to live. So what do we know? And like I said, we know that she was a prostitute and in the end she becomes a child of God. And we know that she is included in the Hall of Fame of, in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. And this is how the names go. And I'll name them in the order that they go in Hebrews chapter 11. It goes from Abel to Enoch. And you, most of you know the stories. And it talks about how by faith, Noah, Abraham, Sarah. Then comes Isaac. Then comes Jacob, Joseph, Moses. And suddenly we have Rahab. You know, and then Rahab comes here. And he says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab... Because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And it's mind blowing. You know, we would have categorized them and we would have probably split them into different groups, yeah? So we would have had the, um, Moses and we would have had Jacob and we would have had Abraham and Noah and, um, and these great men of God in a separate category as what we would have put Rahab in. And we would have said, you know, we can't. They just don't go hand in hand. Why would we put them together? But that's not the way that God sees it. But through the grace of God, she became a woman of faith. So there's four facts here about this, about, about this woman. And the first one was that she was a woman. And some of those facts are going to be relating to us here. You know, the first one is a woman, so relating to all the women here, we're all, you're all women. But at this particular time, the women were routinely victimised. They were, you know, they were not considered equal to men. We all know that for, as a fact. And how did that happen? How did it happen that women were just kept at a complete different level as what male were? To this day, in many parts of the world, that still sits and that's still the case. And we had the brothers from Papua New Guinea when they were here. And they were saying, and, and you probably noticed that his wife was always sitting at the back. She never even wanted to sit next to him. She wanted always to sit behind him. And when you see him walking on the street, you'll see the man walking and the woman will be about 20, 30 metres behind. That's their culture. That's the way that they've seen it. The women is not equal to men. But yet to God they are. And here it's going back three and a half thousand years back. God says that women is equal to men. And I'll show you a little bit more into it as we go. God wants us to know that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. It's level. Even in that degrading age. Second is that she was a Gentile. And unless there's a Jew in this room or claim to be one, there's usually some that claim. Um, I say that I'm from the tribe of Joseph. That's all I say. And that refers to my dad's name. Yeah, so most of you know. But, um, but um, so she was a Gentile. And she was not part of the covenant that God made with Abraham and his descendants. 
So she had another thing that was going against her. And she did not belong to the Israelites. And yet by faith she was accepted by God and by his people when when they attacked Jericho came and they kept their word to her and the deal that they made with her when they destroyed the city. Third point is that she, she was pagan and she was raised in, a, in an environment where idol worshipping was very common. And he says that there's uh, evidence I read that they even used to sacrifice their children, the Canaanites, to, to their idols. And even though she heard of God, of Israel, she knew nothing about him except his mighty power and his miracles. And what happened is that, and you could imagine, that as they were going, as the Israelites were going from place to place, and, and I think that this is probably a, one of the highlights on their journey too, because they, they were journeying for 40 years in the wilderness. So in between events, there was time that went by. So there might be a year between things happening or major things, but here there's a lot of major events taking place. So they crossed the Jordan, Moses dies, the walls, they capture Jericho and then they continue and they enter the promised land. So it's a big highlight that takes place here. And, um, and so the nations, the, uh, wherever they went, people were starting to get a bit of interest about these people. Approximately 2 million people on the other side of the Jordan. Some say that there was 20,000, 50,000 in Jericho um, with the surrounding towns. Now, you would have thought that they'd be pretty afraid, pretty frightened of two million people that are coming at them. Even if they um, had walls, that they thought that they, it was protecting them. How long could they survive in there? Interestingly, they, this took place soon after the harvest and they found grain in there. And this is one of the reasons why um, non-Bible-believing people believe that this that Jericho, yes, it was destroyed. They believe it was destroyed by earthquake, but they don't believe that it was destroyed by, um, by a war or by someone that captured them because they found food there. So there's still jars, massive jars of food that they had there. They could have survived for a couple of years while they were in there. And so they think that if someone captured them, that's the thing they would have taken. But God said, take nothing. God said, destroy everything, burn the place. And that's what they did. They burnt the walls. They're out of wood and they're still there. Um, so, and the fourth point is that she was a prostitute, which I've said it before, and she sold her body for money. And we don't need to cover her. I've spoken enough on that one. Um, grace is for sinners and only sinners. And I think that that's one of the things that we need to take from this lesson about the amazing grace of God that it stretched out as far as to this woman, a Canaanite woman that in Jericho and needed to be saved. So Rahab stands as a beacon of hope for broken, for hurting, for bruised, for people that feel hopeless. So if you're here, if you feel hopeless or if you know of a Rahab, someone that is hopeless, God reached out to Rahab. He can reach out to anyone. A woman that was repeated guilty of repeated sexual sin why not seem a good candidate for salvation but to God 
it is possible. His grace is so amazing that he will not only save notorious sinners, he will also save self-righteous churchgoers. You know, the self-righteous churchgoers, they feel that they don't need salvation because we are so righteous, because we've, we, we, we're pretty good. We don't need salvation. But we think that God can only reach to, 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 to the outskirts and can save those, but he can even save the self-righteous Christians that so believe that are self-righteous. Romans chapter 3, verse 22, he says, There is no difference. The righteous is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference between Jews and Greeks, between Jews and Gentiles, sorry, between families, between races, between male and female. There is no difference. And then I like what verse, the next verse says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all means all. You know, all means every single human being. It doesn't mean if you were raised in a Christian home that that doesn't apply to you. It doesn't mean that if, you, um, if you're from a background of 10 generations, it doesn't apply to you. It means all means all. Every one of us, every one of you have fallen short of the glory of God. But thanks be to God. You know, we, we might say that this grace is even for people like Rahab. Once we say that it's even for people like Rahab, we almost put ourselves on a different level to her, don't we? But this grace is even for people like Michael. Even pe- for people like Michael Dulock. Even for people like every one of you. That's the only way that I'll ever get to heaven, by the amazing grace of God. Do you think that it was hard for her to believe? It must have been pretty hard for her to believe of a God of some other people that was that would take that a God that took care of another nation but not our nation. It's almost like thinking of a God that looks after another family but doesn't take care of my family. It'd be pretty hard to believe in a God like that. And then, you know, the, these spies come into her house and, um, and, and I had a bit of time to think about this, about how did she come about by doing a deal with these guys? And we know that Jews are pretty clever and they're pretty good at negotiating. And it almost seems like these guys negotiated with her. They almost negotiated with her and they said, because when... When, when, when this takes place, is that they're still in her house, they run to the roof, then they're lowered from the roof to, from the wall, but she tells them to stay where. So she plans it all out, and we'll read now. Um, but before that, as I said, that they were going from places to places, and they heard of this nation. They'd done a little bit of research. I don't think they had Google, they didn't go on their computers, but they asked around, How, who are these people? And what happened in the past? How come no one's captured and how, how do they survive in the desert? So rumours were that they have, there is a God that's taking care of them. And I like to read it in chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. First, he says, I know that the Lord has given you this land 
and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. I like the part, you know, she doesn't say, I think, I know that the Lord has given you this land. How did she know that? That is amazing. And I believe that the Holy Spirit opened her eyes to see something that most, that no one else could have seen, that no one would see. That's giving you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. They heard of that. How did they hear of that? Was there books there? They heard of it. This is 40 years later. But they heard. So people must have been talking a lot about these people that were in the wilderness. So we heard how God had dried the, the, the sea for you to pass through the Red Sea. And what you did to Shehon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. And I like, I like the first sentence and I like the last part of it. It's just so confident. She says, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and in the earth below. How many of us can make that statement? Here is a prostitute. So we've judged her as a prostitute. We judge her as a woman that knows very little. We judge her as being a woman and you know, an outcast. And here she's making statements that we don't make statements like that. You know, I know, she says. And when it came for the time to choose, she, made, she, she joined God's people. So she made a decision. She didn't stand, stay on the fence. You know, she could have said that, you know, okay, all fine. You know, you guys will come over and I'll, I'll have a few days to run away in the country because I know that your God is going to take this land. So somehow get me across the land to the other side and get me out onto the other side of the Jordan and I might have some sort of a chance with my family. But no... She says, and we'll continue in verse 12 and 13. He says, Now then, please swear to me, this is the deal that she's doing with them, by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. So she makes them realise, and they know that she's showing kindness to them, because at this point, they could have, she could have called out for these people to come and to capture them, <laughs> And she would live, but they would have been slaughtered, despised. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. So she's made a deal with them and they agreed. And then she... Um, but... Can you see the faith that she had? She was convinced that this was going to take place. She believed in this God. She believed that these walls, and if you see the pictures, you'll see the pictures of how solid these walls were. And it's risen up. And it's an amazing fortress that they had. But she knew that God was giving them the land. And that, it was, that they were going to take possession of it. And the sign, another sign of true conversion was that she was concerned for the safety of her extended family as well. She just didn't want that for herself and for her children. She wanted it for her mum, her dad, her brothers. 
Isn't that the first thing that we want for us, our immediate family, that when we're saved, we want them to be part of this amazing joy that we have. We want them to be part. We want them to be involved. She heard the truth about God and she believed it. She testified it. And she had faith and courage to face the great dangers. And she took a risk. She didn't, it wasn't that she didn't take a risk. She took a great risk. If she was exposed, that would have killed her instantly. Would have had the death penalty straight away. In a moment of great crisis, she became a traitor of her own people and joined the people of God. And yeah, we can judge here and But she took a stand for the Lord. She protected his people. She made provision for her whole family. She risked everything in the process. It wasn't that it was a, an easy ride, an easy path that she had. She had a great risk as well. And I love the, you know, the story. And so they told her, yeah, they said, um, okay, what we want you to do is we want you to put a scarlet cord through the window, those of you that know the story, and you can read the rest of the chapter at home. And so they, the, 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 the two spies say, hang out a scarlet cord through the window, and then we will tell the army to spare you and not to destroy. And everyone that's in that house will be spared. Um, and, you know, you might ask, okay, why scarlet? And as a Christian, you know that it has symbolic meaning to Christ and to, to the Passover, first to the Passover. Um, but it also was something that stood out. So it would stand out. So if there was a red flag hanging out the window, you'd know that it stands out. You'd see it in the, mix, in the midst of rubble, it would stand out. And I think that they were limited to colours. I don't know, but... I don't know if they had some of those oranges that we have now, those safety vest colours that we have, and the yellows, but maybe red was the colour that stood out the most. But it served two purposes, and that's what I like about it. It's one that it was that, it, yep, it stood out for them not to, um, not to miss that. And second one was that it relates to the Passover and um, reminds us of what Christ has done for us also. And I think it's, you know, a lot of people hear the gospel. A lot of people hear the message. But yet here we see of a person that not only heard a message, but she acted as well. And I think that that's what people need to do. Sometimes you see people and children and adults that go to church for years, but they don't take no action. So there was two things that took place right after this. Rahab goes and spreads the word to her relatives. So... Imagine, you know, she had no idea if it's going to happen in one day. She had no idea if it's going to happen in a week, in two weeks. But she acted immediately. And I could just imagine her family would have been in that home all the time or very near to that home. So that as soon as they attacked, that they were all there and everyone was going to be saved. So she took action. And Joshua led the people. She wanted to save her whole family. And Joshua led the children of Israel to cross the Jordan up towards Jericho. Now, the people thought that they had a wall that was going to withstand the, the, the enemy, that was going to withstand the siege. 
But, you know, looking back now, we know what took place and we know how they crumbled and how they marched around the city and, and the walls came down. So I think there's two major lessons that we have in this story. And one is that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. That's lesson number one, that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. If God could reach a prostitute in a foreign land, think about it. What are the odds? What were the odds? Think of all the men that she had slept with. Think of all the sin. Think of the... And God said, it doesn't matter. What's your sin? We all have sin that we'd rather not mention in public. Does your past make you feel unworthy? If so, you're an excellent candidate for God's grace. Because only unworthy people go to heaven. People that are self-righteous. We know what happened to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Jesus was so critical of them. But even the grace of God can reach them as well. If God can save Rahab, he can save anyone. And point number two, salvation means choosing sides with Jesus. How much did Rahab know when she hid the spies? How much did she know about God? How much did she know about the gospel, about the Bible? Not much at all, did she? And when you think about your journey as a Christian, when you first became a Christian, how much did you know? Probably not much. And that's where your journey begins. And it doesn't matter. She knew God was a God of Israel and the true God. And as we said, and she confessed it and she believed it. And that was enough. She believed and she confessed it. And then we have the words in, in Hebrews, by faith, he talks about Rahab, by faith, because she believed, by faith she was saved. All that is required is for you to feel that you need Christ. One final word, and I'm almost done, is um, there's one more mention of Rahab, and it's in Matthew chapter 1, in the genealogy of, of Christ, and it talks about, in verses one, 5 to 6, it talks about, Someone fathered Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, and Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. So by those records, she was the great-great-grandmother of King David. And it's just amazing that what God did with her life and how God can change. Only God can do that. No one else can. God's grace and His amazing grace and amazing love that He has. She will be known as Rahab the prostitute till she died. But when we meet her and those of you and those of us that have faith in Jesus Christ and when we'll see her in, in heaven, we'll know her as Rahab the child of God. That's how she'll be known by. Um, a lot of us know the song of um, a, a, a fa very famous song that... Fanny Crosby wrote and he said, Oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood, 
to every believer the promise of God, the vilest offenders who truly believed. That moments from Jesus, a pardon received, the vilest offenders. He was a blind person. Fanny Crosby, they wrote that song. You know, the vilest offenders who truly believe that moment from Jesus upon receive. Was a miracle of grace, God's grace. They built a wall. There was a wall between her and between the God's people. And no wall can withstand God's grace. There's nothing. There's nothing that can be in the bar in between God. It's grace in you that cannot come tumbling down. So here's the bottom line. If you're a Rahab like I mentioned before, or you know of a Rahab, the grace of God can reach to that person. So as an individual, you, can, you should never give up. As a, as, a, as a friend of an individual, you should never give up. Let's pray. Father, indeed we are grateful. Indeed we are grateful the way that you saved Rahab. Because he shows us and demonstrates to us of this amazing grace, of this amazing love, of this amazing kindness. She asked for kindness and kindness was shown to her. Lord, and we pray for kindness from you, Father, that you may show kindness to us, Lord. I pray for kindness on CLF. I pray for kindness on every single person that's in this room here, Lord, that has not made the decision to follow you, that has not accepted you as a personal Lord and Saviour. I pray for kindness, Lord, that you may save them. I pray that you may be their Lord and their Saviour. That they may have faith, that they may see, that they may have their eyes may be open, Lord. But we pray for those that we hold so close to our hearts too, that are not here, Lord. And we just pray, you know, for the thoughts of each one of us that are in this room, for individuals that we've been praying for months or years. We pray, Lord, for salvation to come to them too, Lord. We pray that their eyes may be open, that they may be able to see, Lord. No matter how thick that wall of Jericho is between them, that their eyes may be open, Lord. We, we're amazed and we, and we don't understand how it is so clear to us of your existence, of your love, of your greatness, of your relationship that you have with us. And yet, we don't understand why other people don't see him, Lord. We pray for them today, Lord. We pray that you may open their eyes to our family, to our friends to those that we've been praying for years, Lord. We commit them in your hands, God Almighty. Amen. Thank you. 